And so when people show up in the streets, thousands of people, even a handful of people in, in a red area, in a Republican district, that challenges the legitimacy that these dictators crave. Welcome to episode 26 of Inside Without Now, a podcast brought to you by volunteers with Refuse Fascism. I'm Sam Goldman, one of those volunteers and host of the show. We're four days out from the end of the election and the beginning of the count. MAGA minions maraud throughout the country, continuing to carry out voter intimidation and violence. The regime continues to sow doubt on the election process and carry out voter suppression. Breaking news of atrocities committed by the regime shock the conscience every day, the latest being the loss of 200 children from all throughout Central America, sent by Trump's DHS goons to Mexico and lost alone without a paper trail. Meanwhile, the Supreme Court's new fascist majority wastes no time letting the world know where they stand, solidly behind Trump. Four more years of this fascist regime will mean catastrophe for humanity. With days before the election, all who care about humanity, about the planet, need to act decisively to prevent the consolidation of fascism in America. Now is the time to be firm in our conviction that this regime is illegitimate and call on everyone to take up the demand. Trump Pence, out now. Today, LitHub.com published filmmaker Lily Wachowski's essay, Refuse Fascism, at the ballot box and in the street. She poses how many more fucking bodies have to pile up. Please read this stunning piece that highlights the responsibility that each of us bears in this moment to overwhelm the fascist movement and drive out the Trump-Pence regime. Trump is already stealing this election. Vote. We need to. But Trump won't be just stopped by voting. We're calling on everyone to get in the streets. Election night, November 3rd, November 4th, November 5th, until the fascist Trump-Pence regime is driven out. You can find resources, protests, the plan up to and in the critical days after the election, and be part of defending the right to vote by visiting refusefascism.org. Today, we're sharing an interview with Andrea Chalupa, journalist, author, and co-host of Gaslit Nation. I have been listening to Gaslight Nation for several years now. It's been since 2018, I guess, is when I started. Yes, 2018. We launched right, I think, after the news of the kids in cages was coming out, I believe. And even though that horrendous policy was started from the get-go, as soon as they got in, they were just like, release the Nazis, you know? So we launched heading into the midterms to give people a space to come together and stay engaged in what really mattered. It's such a beautiful thing. And it's been a lifeline for so many people. You have been exposing Trump, his regime and sounding the alarm about how dire the situation truly is for years. I think one of the things that is worth exploring is in the U.S., any blatantly what I would call fascist movement, you may use the word authoritarianism for the 
context of this conversation, I don't think that the definition is the most essential, is going to have genocidal underpinnings given the history of this country, a country built on genocide, slavery. How do you see Trump in relation to that history? Oh, dear Um, God. He's an extension. (laughs) And what do you see him calling forth? Well, so Donald Trump is very clearly an extension of the genocide that built America, the the massive genocide of Native Americans, which was so great, so horrific, that it literally changed the global climate on the Mm -hmm. planet. And of course, the hundreds of years of the Holocaust of slavery. And it was the white people and the complicit black and brown people that try to hide in that system for their own protection and were complicit in it. It was that system of white supremacy that to this day is what we're up against. That is it. That is what's central to the work that we're doing. That's why it's so important to protect the most vulnerable among us and to undo white supremacy and just to be relentless in doing that. There's a reason why Donald Trump has put up a portrait to Andrew Jackson, bloody, bloody Jackson. And that's because he believes in the ideology of white supremacy. There was a report that he kept a book of Hitler's speeches in his bedroom, that he read it, that he studied it. And you see that in how he loves his rallies and how he works his rallies. Mm. And so I think, obviously, if he he manages to steal this election, as, as he's been trying desperately to do for a while now, he got impeached trying to essentially steal the election. Mm -hmm. And what you're going to see is the camps, the camp system they built up on the border filling up. I think you're going to see a ratcheting up of harassment, including legal harassment, financial harassment against journalists and activists, whistleblowers. We've seen some of that the last four years, but I think it's going to be a lot more aggressive. I do believe we will have show trials. And if anyone thinks that that is insane to say we're going to have show trials in the United States, look at the movie, The Trial of the Chicago 7. Look at the documentary on the Chicago 7. That was a show trial by Richard Nixon of anti-Vietnam War activists. So we've had show trials in America. A lot of cases against Black people, especially in Jim Crow South, were the equivalent of show trials. And because they're already considered guilty and, it was, and, and they were just displays of white power, essentially. So I think a lot of white people in America that are clutching their pearls and thinking, like, how could this be happening? How is this happening? Don't understand that this has always been happening. And I think silver lining of where we are today is the fact that a lot of people are waking up to the fact that this is our country and that we were born into fascism here in the United States and that people of privilege can no longer keep their eyes closed to it or be oblivious to it because it's impacting us now. Like When you have the coronavirus killing nearly a quarter of a million people in America, that's a lot of white people that have been impacted. And as they're paying attention to this virus, they're seeing that it's killing, you know, in all the news reports, we're all breathlessly following, we're seeing all of the racial inequality and income inequality that's being exposed with the horrendous death tolls of black and brown people in America from coronavirus. And that that was part of what that and George Floyd is what fueled a lot of those Black Lives Matter protests that we saw in the spring. And so you finally have white people understanding full well what white supremacy is because they too now are threatened by it with Donald Trump and power and all his abuses of power and all the corruption and all the environmental protections he's rolling back and how he's destroying our country deliberately from within. So I think we are at a tipping point moment where you do have larger and larger numbers of white people waking up to white supremacy, 
how it works and why it must be dismantled if you want to protect everybody. It's a really important point about what you're getting at in terms of the, the ingredients that, that exists, both in terms of the white supremacy at the core of it, but also on the flip side, the, the ingredients that people have at their disposal to see the direction that this could go, because the evidence is, is so ample should people confront it. I think that given how this country was formed and since its inception and, and, and onward, there have been the basis for fascism to take hold here. And with Trump, I think that we see what is a slow genocide in many ways, mm-hmm. very quickly becoming a fast genocide. Yes. And one of the challenges that I've faced, and I know others have too, in getting people to come to terms with the growth of fascist movements in this country and fascists now currently in power is this American exceptionalism. The idea that fascism is a foreign thing to the US, that the Nazi Germany was something that was a horrific aberration unique only to Germany in the 20th century. And that something like that could never take hold in our country. Yesterday or the day before, Jeff Charlotte tweeted out a really powerful thread of analysis of how the Blue Lives Matter flag has replaced the American flag Mm -hmm. um, as the official flag at Trump rallies, really visually illustrating the fascist remaking of their movement. And I'm just wondering, what do you say to people who have this notion that what we saw in Nazi Germany could only happen in in Germany at that time in history and could never happen here? Well, anybody that thinks that needs to be reminded that it could have very well happened in the United States in the 1930s. You had all-American hero, Charles Lindbergh, the Brett Favre, <laughs> the Brett Favre of his day. I'm just kidding, because um, Brett Favre just endorsed Trump. Um, so you had Charles Lindbergh, right, the great aviator hero, who wrote in Reader's Digest, mainstream All American Reader's Digest, a 1939 essay saying that in order to keep America great, we must keep America white. You of course had Nazi rallies in the United States during the rise of Hitler. You had Joe Kennedy the ambassador, the United States ambassador to the UK in London, you know, sending reports back to FDR saying that the United Kingdom was going to fall to fascism. It was just a matter of time that the UK was going to align with Hitler and that we just had to get used to it. And that's the way the wind was blowing. The world was headed to fascism. And that's that's fine. That's absolutely perfectly acceptable. Joe Kennedy, JFK's dad, was staunchly on the side of Hitler and the fascists. And this created a lot of tension with between him, FDR, and Eleanor Roosevelt at the time. And so I want to emphasize that again. Joe Kennedy, the father of JFK and RFK, was on the side of Hitler and was telling his president, FDR, to prepare for fascism, to prepare for fascism being you know, the prevailing wind during that time and, and not doing it in an alarmist way, but saying, well, Hitler won. We've got to get used to this new Hitler world order. Like he was doing it in a very pragmatic way. And you have to wonder, like, you don't have to wonder because it's well documented, but you have to understand that uh, that this whole um, welcome mat that a lot of uh, elites in the West rolled out for Hitler, it was here in the US too. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't just Chamberlain trying to appease Hitler. It was a lot of Western elites that thought that Hitler said what most people were afraid to say. And that's not unique to America. That's not unique to Great Britain. That's not unique to Germany. That can exist and take root 
anywhere around the world. I learned a lot from that. (laughs) I didn't know all of those things about Kennedy. Yeah. In my work doing grassroots organizing and outreach to many people troubled by Trump, one phenomena I've encountered again and again and again is people who really thought that the institutions were going to save us, particularly through the Mueller investigation and then the very narrowly focused impeachment hearings. Within refused fascism, we've always struggled to place the primary emphasis on the fascist character of this regime and the fact that the normal channels are not adequate to stop them, that we need a mass movement in the streets focused on what's fully at stake for immigrants, for women, for black people, for the environment, for all the people in the crosshairs of a fully consolidated fascist regime in the United States. I wonder if you could talk a bit about that sort of faith in the institutions and whether you've evolved your own understanding of the various normalization and enabling that has happened by these institutions and what you would say to someone who has told us over the past four years that we don't need a mass movement to oust Trump now at this late hour. It was what I said before, everything comes down to human nature. We're up against people. Institutions are made of people. The institutions aren't like a dam that was built and the, the waves of fascism are crossing against the steel of the dam. There is no steel in our institutions. They're human mm. beings and they're human beings that can be bought. They're human beings that can be intimidated. They're human beings that can be fired for doing their jobs. And that's essentially what we've seen. We've seen a rapid purge. We've definitely seen an out in the open purge of our intelligence community. All the, you know, all the times Trump was tweeting about Peter Schrock and Lisa Page and Bruce Orr and, and Bruce Orr's wife and, and others, that was open obstruction of justice. He was harassing the investigators. He was putting their lives in danger. And he was purging our, our government throughout. And he just passed an executive order demanding loyalty from civil servants, the bureaucrats that make up um, our institutions. And this is playbook fascism, where he's making sure that he cannot be checked, his powers cannot be checked, and that he is the state. Donald Trump is the state now. That's where we are. So we, we're certainly not going to survive four more years of this or else it's going to just set us back for a very long time. And, and I don't know how we would claw our way out without mass mobilization. Mass mobilization is, should always be there in, in the best of times and the worst of times. Mass mobilization is essential. And what it's so good at doing is hitting the dictator where it hurts. As I said earlier, a dictator, fascism, is ego unleashed. And what these guys crave is legitimacy. That's why they often do their crimes within the rule of law. They want to be legitimate. That's why they held the Republican National Convention on the White House lawn. They wanted that photo op, the propaganda of the White House in the background to show their power, show their legitimacy. We are the White House. We are the United States. You're not going to get rid of us. We're here to stay. And so when people show up in the streets, thousands of people, even a handful of people in in a red area, in a Republican district, 
that challenges the legitimacy that these dictators crave. Like Putin is humiliated when tens of thousands of Russians march against him, especially all these young kids, this new generation of Russians. Um, Putin is humiliated when some rich Russian rapper tries to put out a YouTube video praising Putin, and it becomes the most hated, the most disliked YouTube video on all of Russian YouTube. Like that's that's the humiliation that really gets to them because it challenges their legitimacy. You have this currently going on in Belarus, where the more Lukashenko's riot cops brutalize the protesters, including women, including elderly women who are on the front lines of the Belarus mass mobilization, the more people come out the more people risk their lives, risk their freedom to to stand up against this. And there's a great power there because it's showing the world that that this dictator is illegitimate. Mm-hmm. And so so that's really essential. Like mass mobilization in good times and in bad times is essential to to freedom, to protecting the most vulnerable, to showing the world that none of this is OK. And within time, those movements grow electoral power and they grow they grow progress because what you have through mass mobilization is that people find each other, people are strengthened, there's there's solidarity, and all of that courage, all of that faith spreads, and it's very powerful, which is why dictators are terrified and, and do everything they can to try to stop it. Thank you for that clarity. I think that it's really important, and it's important to look, as you did, to other parts of the world and examples that we have on that power, on our power. Let's talk about the scenarios for next week <laughs> and what people should do. Yes. Refusefascism.org is calling for people to take to the streets with the demand, not just that all the ballots should be counted, though they absolutely should be, but that Trump-Pence must go now. There's a new statement from the editorial board um, on plans for next week, which reads in part from its founding, refusefascism.org, has said that a fascist regime, whether it comes to power by fair or foul means, is always illegitimate. This underscores the importance of massive numbers of people acting together in nonviolent protest, not just reactive to the regime's moves or to the democratic leadership's calls to let the process play out, as Biden said in the debate, but to insist on our demand. Then the processes and institutions could be forced to respond, to concede to our demand that this regime must go. You've written and spoken with a lot of moral clarity about this regime and how completely intolerable it is to leave them in power. I wonder if you could talk about this point, that we need to demand that the regime must go not only that the ballots must be counted. Do we have a yeah. right and responsibility to make this demand? Absolutely, without question. I think this is a regime that okay, the, the Trump crime family, as I call them, as many people call them, the Trump crime family stole the election in 2016 with the help of a mass murdering xenophobic mafia state known as Putin's Russia. This is a illegitimate president to begin with. And the fact that everyone, including people in in positions of power, including President Obama and his foreign policy team, were all caught off guard by this hijacking of our democracy. This has been a constitutional crisis for four years. Donald Trump should never have been on the ballot to begin with. And the fact that he's been trying to steal this election in plain sight. And again, that is what got him impeached, impeached. And we're just letting him stay on the ballot. Like none of this is normal. None of this is normal. 
and the journalists doing the horse race politics. It's normalizing all of it. And when you don't act with urgency, when you have journalists that are just letting this go and not raising all the points I just made every day, then what are you going to get? You're going to get Trump voters who think this is fine. You know, people who are on the fence who just want to protect, they think they're going to protect their taxes because they're so brainwashed. They hear Democrat, they, they immediately think higher taxes which isn't true, clearly, it's for for most Americans. And so what you have, when you normalize this, of course, you're going to get people voting for Trump and seeing nothing wrong with it. Because if this was as bad as all these screaming liberals say it is, then why wouldn't someone do something about it? Why wouldn't the New York Times and CNN and others, why wouldn't they do something about it? The fact that nobody in positions of power collectively did anything about it. Mueller, of course, failed us as we warned on Gaslit Nation that he would. We now have to do our part in screaming and protesting and being creative and using art and creating an art festival because that's what's going to sustain us. Ukraine's revolution that overthrew a tyrant in, in Arctic freezing temperatures in the winter of 2013, 2014, that was an art festival. Ukraine's revolution of dignity was an art festival. So America needs its own revolution of dignity saying it, none of this is okay. None mm-hmm. of this is okay. Everyone just needs to mass mobilize and refuse to accept it and demand demand that this constitutional crisis resolves itself from uh, Trump and Pence going. There's no other way to to resolve it. So all those demands saying that, you know, there should have never been an election in the first place because he's illegitimate and just saying he must go now. All of that is common sense and what's desperately needed now in this moment. I think that there's also determination that people need to exert in this moment that that you're talking about, that uh, people planting themselves in the street and saying they're they're not going to tolerate this, regardless of how the theft is carried out because he's already been stealing the election. And as you said, he was never legitimate in the first place. And so I think that whatever the winds blow, people having the grounding in the reality that this is a regime that poses catastrophic danger to all of humanity and the planet. And every day that they remain in power is a day too long and that they need to go, I think is going to be really essential in the days to come. And I'm wondering, what do you think is really important for people to be paying attention to in this next week? Well, I think people need to pay attention to their own self-care and try to get as much sleep as they can. I think that's essential. And so in terms of the days ahead, it's going to be horror. It's going to be minute to minute. And they're going to, in our face, throwing everything they can at this. I mean, you see it. The Supreme Court is very much in their pocket. There's a constitutional court in Ukraine that just overthrew a massive amount of anti-corruption reforms that people literally gave their lives for in Ukraine's revolution, the dozens of people that were killed in Ukraine's revolution fighting corruption, those reforms were just thrown out by Ukraine's constitutional court. This is what happens when you have kleptocracies, struggling democracies. We're America's a struggling democracy. We've had international election observers trying to come here to monitor our elections. Uh, you know, the Carter Center for the first time ever is monitoring U.S. elections. America is a struggling democracy. And so, you know, people just have to just get ready, get ready mentally, emotionally. And the way you combat what's happening is through radical self-care, taking breaks when you need to take breaks, 
absolutely getting help when you need help. All of that is part of the essential work. And then keeping your eye on the long game. There's going to be moments of success and there's going to be moments of horror. It's going to go up and down, up and down. And so just keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eye on the prize. All of this can be summed up by this great book that we recommend on the Gaslit Nation Action Guide. If you go to gaslitnationpod.com, at the very top of our action guide, we write, democracy is a lifestyle. Because if we all have to remain vigilant, we all have to stay engaged, and we all have to be careful where our news comes from and, and, and our sources of news and educating ourselves and reading widely. So the very first action item we open in the action guide on Gaslit Nation is to read Martin Luther King's great memoir on how he led the Montgomery bus boycott. And that is a book that we recommend. It's called Stride Toward Freedom, The Montgomery Story. And the reason why we recommend it is because Martin Luther King walks you through his own intellectual and emotional journey in becoming a civil rights icon. This was written when he was still a young man. This, the, the Montgomery story was fresh in his mind, and he wrote it all down as a case study and how to replicate it. And as he goes through this journey, he talks about how he dealt with his own weaknesses, you know, his own ego, the egos of others. He doesn't use that, that explicit terms, but he talks about all the frustrations and all the weeds you have to dig through and, and, and to, to build a movement. None of this is romantic. Just because today we have all these gorgeous black and white photographs and films celebrating Martin Luther King, he was a human being that was struggling with all of the colorful complexities of being a human being and the messiness of dealing with other human beings. And Stride Toward Freedom is, is such a brilliant guide on how he did it. It's a book on self-management and managing teams. So I strongly recommend it to people because it's so practical and inspiring at the same time. And it reminds you that, that the shoulders that we stand on, the giants that, that helped lift us up to get us here, they were human beings. And so we have to embrace being human beings in order to become the giants that are gonna lift up the next generation that are going to succeed beyond our wildest dreams. I think it's such an important point that it's real people who make history. And I think over time, people get, you know, mystified a bit. So it's it's important grounding work to do. You've called for people to resist at every level throughout society. It's in the guide that you referenced to refuse to enforce unjust policies under an illegitimate regime, even if ordered to do so. As we all expect, as you said, Trump will not concede defeat next week. And Lord only knows what he and Roger Stone and other coup plotters. Carl Rove is part of this. Like George W. Bush did not endorse Biden for a reason. These are George W. Bush's judges that are making all of these anti-democracy rulings. Carl Rove and George W. Bush, they're the same thing as the the Trump crime family. It's an extent. So we're basically... Like our democracy got hijacked in 2000 in Florida, right? With, with George W. Bush stealing that election. And we've been struggling ever since. And there was just an international study that came out of Europe saying that the American Republican Party is just like the authoritarian parties ruling Turkey and Hungary and Poland. And that the violence, the violence against opposition is, is very much a, an authoritarian playbook. And that all started with Karl Rove and George W. Bush in 2000 in Florida. So it's an important, it's important history. And I think one of the lessons of it was that people, their side was mobilized. Who was, who was in the streets and who was called out was 
the fascist movement at the time. It was it was not the people on the side of justice. The Democratic Party did not mobilize people to act at that time. And people independent of it did not mobilize. And I think that it's important to explore what a positive vision of a movement of people, of millions of people, uniting across political views. And I think this is one of the most essential points is that for us to succeed, I believe we're going to have to have a radical solidarity, you know, people who would not under any other circumstance be shoulder to shoulder with each other, except for the fact that they do not want to live under fascism and people uniting all walks of life to actually drive this regime out. And I was wondering if there are, you know, you talked about one example, talked about the art festival movement in in Ukraine. Are there other recent movements in places, you know, maybe South Korea, Puerto Rico, Lebanon, that you look at as models or examples? And what lessons do these experience perhaps hold for us here? There's been a lot of pushback, a lot of pushback that's been going on, like Chile just getting a new constitution to undo a one built by a dictator. And then in um, Nigeria, I believe, I haven't been following it too closely because of the U.S. election, but in Nigeria, they're taking on their terror police. So there's a, and then of course, Hong Kong is a famous example of just how militant the organization on the ground is in in Hong Kong uh, against great odds because China is terrifying. I know, you know, Trump sucks up all the oxygen in the room and so does Putin, but China really is terrifying. And so I think while we are in a time of authoritarianism, we're also in a time of massive pushback and backlash against authoritarianism. It's happening in Poland too. And and they're getting slammed for it by people in the streets and people organizing. So I think there's a lot of I, I think there's a lot of great examples of resistance. And the example that I am most familiar with and I is is what's been going on in Ukraine because Ukraine's had two revolutions each time against Yanukovych Paul Manafort's client okay so they had the orange revolution in 2004 which where people took to the streets and refused to leave and that overthrew a stolen election Yanukovych Manafort's client stole I don't I don't, I don't believe he was working with Manafort at the time, but they, or they, they may have just started, but, but Yanukovych stole the election in 2004 in Ukraine, and the Ukrainians refused to accept that, and they lived in the freezing cold for months until the election was overthrown. And then they did that all again in 2013 when Yanukovych tried to, you know, accepted essentially a bribe from Russia, bailout from Russia in exchange for turning his back on signing an agreement that pulls country closer to the EU, which is what Ukrainians wanted in order to live in a stable democracy without corruption or with far less corruption. And so they, again, they took to the streets and, and all of that happens quickly and happens effectively when you have an organized civil society that's a civic society that's ready to move. So you have to be pre-organized. So I'll give you an example. Uh, Ukraine's revolution in 2013 was greatly helped by the fact that a group of journalists at a mainstream TV outlet, it was, a t- it was, a, it was TV news, I believe, quit their jobs over censorship. And they, they came together and they formed an independent online TV network. And the timing could not have been better. Um, one, so when, when Yanukovych said, you know, I'm going to accept this bribe from Russia, I'm not going to align my country with the EU, like I promised, those journalists launched the revolution. One of them, 
put a post on Facebook saying, no guys, we're not going to accept this. Everybody meet in the square. Come on, let's go. And a thousand people showed up and then a thousand more and a thousand more. And the more violent the regime got to the, against the protesters, the more, more people came. That's what's important to remember. All, all of these violent images of, of, of bloodied faces, of bruised faces, the, uh, reports of kidnapping, reports of people being stripped naked and marched in the street. The more those videos went viral, the more people rushed to the square to say, not in my name. And they eventually overthrew the regime. And that's how they did it. And so I think the key to success is being pre-organized. Ukraine's revolution was started by a group of independent journalists that had already came together to protest censorship at their TV network. They were being pressured to write things or, or to, to, to have, take a certain line, and they refused to do it. They refused to go along with it. And because they had taken that, that moral stand, they were in a position to help lead their country into a new path. So I think it's really important for all of us, including journalists. These were journalists that were working at like a, like a, a TV network. So I think it's really important for all of us, no matter who you are, no matter where you work, uh, to take a stand, take a stand against violence, take a stand against lies, take a stand at, at, at oppression generally. And if you do that, you're going to be ready for whatever comes next. You're going to be organized for whatever comes next. So I think the number one rule that we can learn from, from all of this pushback happening is to be pre-organized, be ready. And the way you're ready is that you, you stand up against what's not right. You refuse to tolerate it. You recently signed a pledge put out by Refuse Fascism, a pledge to the people of the world in the name of humanity. We refuse to accept a fascist America. And throughout our conversation today, I noticed that you use that word, ref the refuse word. And I think it's really important what you're saying about people from every corner of society taking that stand and the role that it can play in activating and uniting all of those who hate what this regime is doing, who are sickened by their program and the necessary struggle to marshal people into the streets in the way that the example that you so beautifully illustrated did. And so I was wondering, I wanted to read a short, a short part of this, this statement. Um, for people listening, it's a pledge that can be found at refusefascism.org. It says, four more years, four more months, and it could be too late to change the course of history as the Trump-Pence regime sabotages the election and drags humanity to the edge of extinction. Here and now, we pledge to unite in our millions, rising together in nonviolent resistance to stop a great horror. We pledge to stay in the streets, overcoming fear and uncertainty until this American fascism is brought to a halt. We pledge our determination to prevail over a regime that imperils the people of the world and the earth itself. In the name of humanity, we refuse to accept a fascist America. And I just wanted to give you an opportunity to share any last thoughts on how you see people acting in this moment, the, the importance of standing up now and in the immediate days after the election. Never, ever, ever forget that you're not alone in this at all and that there are far more of us than there are them. 
So the numbers are on our side. And when you fight with purpose, you win. You ultimately win. And that all the work we're dedicating ourselves to now is going to outlast us. So when you fight with true intention, when you fight with true purpose, when you fight on the side of good, because don't kid yourself, don't let anybody try to muddle the truth. This is a fight for the soul of our nation. This is a war between good versus evil. And if you're standing on the side of human rights, environmental justice, and living in a true, a, a true law-abiding country of fairness and equality, then you're ultimately fighting for the side of good. And so if you stand on the side of good, stand in your truth, stand in your truth. Sarah and I launched Gaslit Nation thinking that we were going to have to walk through fire because people were going to attack us for the things that we were going to say and point out. And we said from the very beginning, we're going to stand in our truth. Mm-hmm. So if you stand in your truth, the truth will protect you and believe that because absolutely nothing can kill the truth. The truth will always come out. So stand in your truth, fight for the truth, and just know that all these seeds that we're planting today are going to out- outlast us and that we are going to win. That was Andrea Chalupa. You can follow her on Twitter at Andrea Chalupa. Thanks for listening. If you appreciated this episode and want to hear more like it, be sure to subscribe. And we hope you will rate and review this podcast to help us reach more listeners. We need to prepare for the momentous struggle. If Trump cries, the election is a fraud, attempts to shut down counting the votes, or in other ways, nullify the election. In this situation, and particularly in these first five days from election day onward, there has to be a clear poll, a rallying cry, an expression of feet in the streets that is focused on this single demand. Trump Pence, out now. As an important part of this, we are gearing up to publish a pledge to the people of the world in the name of humanity. We refuse to accept a fascist America as a full-page ad in the New York Times, the paper record. We need to raise $50,000 by Wednesday to place this ad. This pledge can help cut through the confusion with moral clarity and mobilize people quickly as the first days after a coup are the most essential. The pledge opens, we will speak, we will stand, we will shout and march together every day. We pledge to stop a regime that imperils the people of the world and the earth itself. We will take to the streets day after day and call forth others. We demand Trump Pence out now. We will not stop until they're gone. You can read the entire pledge, sign, and donate generously to help publish this ad at refusefascism.org. Click the orange donate button to give or give via Venmo, refuse-fascism, or via Cash App, refuse-fascism. The time is upon us to move mountains and stop a regime that imperils the people of the world and the earth itself. Once again, go to refusefascism.org to donate, to publish this ad, to find protests, read our plan, and get resources. Follow us on social media at Refuse Fascism. In the name of humanity, we refuse to accept a fascist America. Trump Pence, out now. I'll see you in the streets.